You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. Today's guest is Tine Carlsson, the CEO and co-founder at Web. But most designers and most teams are not in the luxury of picking their tech stack. There's a bunch of stakeholders in a decision like that, and changing a CMS is a huge cost. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode here of our podcast. Yeah, we're coming into a busy period now, Daniel, and uh, why is that? Indeed we are, and there is, you know, only one thing on our minds right now. It is making the sassiest 2023 the best experience for all of you. And we've done a bunch of stuff here to prepare the program, the show floor. But Thomas, maybe you can give some teasers as to what people can expect from the event in Malmö. Yeah. I mean, the key pillars is that, you know, we want you to be able to steal something good from what the the speakers are talking to. I mean, we, we focus on tactical sessions. We want you to find things that are valuable for you in your daily work. Uh, and then also we hope that you will meet both uh, people that you know, but also to build some new relationships, either when you speak to each other in the uh, during the breaks or when we have a great party in the evening. So it's truly a community event and um, yeah, we want you to have a full experience, both when it comes to knowledge, but, but also creating relations. Indeed it is. And Thomas, where do they go for more information? If they wanted to buy tickets, if they want to, uh, there's a few more sponsors spots open, where do they show their interest and buy their tickets? That's easy. That's easy. It's just go to sassiest2023.com and you will find everything you need there. Excellent. And that takes me to the episode today. So we're going to visit our friends in Norway. We have talked to a really exciting company about how they have gone from enterprise sales to a PLG motion and actually ended up somewhere in between. We are going to talk a bit about hybrid PLG and what that is. So join us when we talk to their CEO, Tine. And here we go. Let's do it. Today, we are very happy to have Tine Carlsen, the CEO and co-founder at VEV, here as a guest in the podcast. So welcome, Tine. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's really great to have you here. We love our Norwegian friends, so it's really nice to have yet another Norwegian CEO on the show. For the sake of the audience, if somebody doesn't know Tine, who is Tine? Give us the brief story. Who is Tine, the professional Tine? Oh, my God. Uh, so, uh, I, I'm glad you threw on the professional. You know, when you get the question, who are you? It's very existential. Yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. Yeah. That's another podcast. But yeah, I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, VEV. Mm-hmm. Um, I started VEV back in 2017 with uh, two co-founders. Um, the short story is that we want to unlock a new era of creative freedom on the web. Um, our way to do that is through the Vev platform, which we will probably talk about later. Um, my role in the company as a CEO is, of course, building the team. I'm very much into strategy, uh, the big picture of everything. And 
I very much consider myself like the mediator between my two co-founders, one who's like a crazy <laughs> tech guy. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Tell us more about the mediation. <laughs> it's also about bringing together two worlds. Like we have our crazy tech guy, the CTO, my co-founder, who's a pure genius and too clever for his own good sometimes. Yeah. And then we have the very visionary product guy on the other side who... He just doesn't see any boundaries, pretty much. So I sort of have, between them, I have two superpowers. I have the power to execute anything that we want on tech. I have the crazy crazy visionary on one side where I have to sort of explore what is actually good ideas based <laughs> on everything he comes up with. Um, and find a plan to execute uh, all of this together. So... That's awesome. Do you know how uh, Thomas and I mediate? We're only two founders here. No, that sounds like a struggle. Time. <laughs> Time is what mediates here. So the moments we don't agree, we just decide, let's not look or speak to each other for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll come back and maybe one of us has reconsidered. Or like, so time is our mediation efforts. Yeah, but we don't have much time. So we're not talking about weeks here. We're talking about, <laughs> I, I don't know, maximum a day or so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's it's an hour or two sometimes. <laughs> You're not too stubborn then. No, oh. no, no. Like we, we, we both understand uh, when we're wrong, we're wrong. Yeah, that works. <laughs> I'm the type, I walk back and forth between these two and uh, sort of, I heard something about this. Is that correct? And then I go back and then we find like a common ground together and it ends up really good. Great. So tell us more about uh, Vev uh, and what your guys are doing. So Vev, um, we built Vev to give professional teams complete creative and technical freedom so that they can build and publish their wildest ideas on the web. Um, so the platform makes front-end development into a visual process uh, that's available for all creatives. So whatever your technical ability, we cater to both designers and developers. Um, and whatever tech stack they are currently working on, uh, they can use Vev to actually be able to build what they want on the web. So just to make sure I understand, you know, here's Daniel, a completely non-technical person. Do you have to have any technical skill set in order to use Vev? Well, yes, Vev is for professionals. Yeah. So the platform, you can sort of think of it as a, a design tool. That's the no-code part. Yeah. So designers can build websites and web content in a very similar way as they do in, for example, Figma. Okay. Only that the end product can be launched either as a standalone website. Right. Or as a part of their existing website. So professional teams today, they... Uh, typically have uh, CMS systems, content management tools that they have built their sites on. Yep. And on these platforms, everything that you see are either templates created by developers or custom builds created by developers. And then designers continuously have to play by the rules of what is accessible to them from the IT department, either in modules or templates. Right. So we cater to teams that add Vev to their tech stack where they can just build whatever they want, <laughs> literally, and launch it 
into their existing website or as a standalone site. Gotcha. So it's not for you, Daniel, uh, to, to, to make it short. You have to be a little bit more technical. Yeah, so it's not, it's not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> not to start from scratch, but when designers build in Web, they also build design components and modules and templates that they share with their teams. Got it. So marketers and content creators, journalists, salespeople all get access to this platform. Uh, which functions as a visual CMS, and that enables them to join in on the creation process. But the designer is sort of the brain behind it. The only difference is that they don't have to hand over a prototype to a developer to put it to life. Got it. But then we also have a kicker to this platform, um, which is uh, the fact that developers can also build in web. Yeah. So we have a built-in code editor, but you can also work in, if you work in Visual Studio Code, you can launch code from your preferred platform into Vev. So instead of leaving Vev if the no-code features doesn't fit your, your needs, instead of leaving the platform, you just ask a developer to build in that small given feature. Okay. So developers expand the platform and customize the platform to fit your enterprise's needs. All right. So who's your main customer? Is it uh, agencies or is it customers that are building their own solutions? What would you say here? So we started actually in the media industry because with Vev, the production process is so much faster. We've measured from traditional cycles to now building in Vev. Uh, we have clients that have reduced time to market with up to 90%. Um, and the media industry, when we started, they had the need to create vast amounts of custom content for uh, native advertising, for example. So um, we started in the media industry. Uh, then we moved into marketing departments within enterprises uh, that want to be able to build a, a better brand online. Um, so that they don't have to always go through the IT department to actually execute their ideas. And then we have agencies. Right. With with Vev, they get the superpower that they can learn one platform, but cater to all of the, the varieties of platforms that their end clients are using. So they can just publish from Vev into any endpoint that they prefer. Uh, that is great, Tina. Uh, thanks for, for sharing that. Uh, just to put things in perspective, let's walk through some of the numbers here. Why don't we start with, tell us about your ARR and growth rate. Like, what, what is the level of that right now? So now we're at, I think today we're at $2.1 million in uh, ARR. Um, we grew approximately 100% over the past year. Uh, but we're currently accelerating really fast. Wow. So if we, if we speak in a year's time, then you'll be minimum north of 4 million. Yes. Awesome. I like that. And uh, how many customers do you guys have right now? And where are these customers geography normally based? So we have been global from the start, or at least from uh, the past 18 months. Uh, so we uh, started in the Nordics. Uh, now we have expanded to pretty much all over the world. Yep. Um, approximately 40% from Nordics, 40% from uh, US, and the, the rest is spread across the world. Um, we have approximately 30 or 350 paying customers. Okay. But on these accounts, there's, I think, above 
3,000 active monthly users on those plans. Okay, wow. And how do you serve these customers around the globe? Do you do that exclusively with people from Norway or do you have people everywhere in the world here? So we, everything is handled from uh, Norway, but we also have a remote team, but that doesn't really matter except for our uh, part of our support department is in Guatemala of all places. Wow. Uh, just to cater to, um, to the U.S. West um, East time zones. Right. How, how do you end up in Guatemala? I've never heard that. Maybe it's a common thing that people put their support centers there. We figured out that uh, Wix had a support center in Guatemala. So we figured that there must be some talent there that we could uh, could uh, get access to. That makes a lot of sense. They at least had some experience with web. Um, and um, yeah, it's been incredible. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. So uh, talk to me a little bit about how you guys have been financing the exercise so far. Like, have you raised money? If so, how much? Yes. So Vev is a huge platform. So we knew that we had quite a journey in front of us when we started Vev. Mm-hmm. Um, we even struggled to sort of, when we looked into how to fund a startup, uh, we even struggled to see sort of how we would be able to follow the normal steps of angel seed and so on. Right. So, uh, so far we've raised $7 million. Mm-hmm. Um, Last time was with the EQT uh, as a lead uh, in our seed. That's a good answer to the question. And here, here's a follow-up question to that. So last round with EQT, we always ask people and, and the CEOs and the founders here, like, how does the power relationship look right now? How much ownership do you have as the CEO versus everybody else here? Yeah, so me and my two co-founders, we have a bit over 40 let me see exactly 43.56 percent gotcha it's a good spot to be in yeah yeah i'm happy with it and we continuously talk about that we're actually not in this for the money so we're just trying to follow like the the right recipe that we continuously hear about yeah i like that so what is the grand vision if you would have like two sentences to say you're not in it for the money why are you doing this? To enable anyone to build for web. We want to create a, a visual web where anyone can take part in the creation process. So I think for us, it's all about this was a really tough task to, to go for. Right. Uh, no one has been able to create an agnostic front end builder. Yeah. And there's been so much movement in the back end part of the web. Um, so we sort of thought that it's it's time to figure out how to to solve front end. Yeah. In our opinion, it's we're sort of looking to fix uh, the way we build for web, but we actually think that it's it's not ever been fully fixed. Right. I like that. I like that because uh, and I, Thomas and I can relate to that as well. Like it's you're in it for the intellectual challenge. You're doing something that has not been, or trying to crack something that has not been fully cracked before. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So uh, thank you so much for that and the numbers. I think that helps uh, the audience understand, you know, where you guys are on your journey. And speaking about journeys, we're going to deep dive a little bit into your go-to-market motions today because you've done something that is 
quite unusual, at least in the Nordics. You started enterprise first and then later on here added a PLG motion to complement that the traditional sort of call it sales enterprise mode. Talk to us a little bit about that. Like, you know, how did you guys land a decision like this is where we start? So when we started building them, uh, we were always keen to have really good uh, beta testers, you can call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led us to uh, to finding enterprises that we believed could have a lot of benefit from Vev. So we started Vev in 2017 and at the end of 2017, so we started in February, at the end of 2017, we landed Shipstead. Oh, wow. Uh, which is the largest media house in, in the Nordics as a client. Yeah. It started at like $750 per month. I remember we were really happy Um, and this was with what we considered as uh, an MVP. Right. I think that even at that time, we didn't understand that we were sitting on top of gold. Right. Um, So we could have gone to market way sooner. Uh, I think that we were sort of even held back by our ambition with the platform. We've always joked about that we've kept the same roadmap since 2017. Yeah. So when we started uh, with Shipstead, it just started rolling, especially within the Norwegian media market. Uh, We landed all of the large media houses in Norway. Um, And (laughs) we were sort of happy with that. We were focused on, on building the dream that we had with Vev. Right. So now looking back, we should have, of course, built out a commercial engine uh, in Vev way sooner. Right, right. Yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, I, I, I like how you mentioned that, that this was almost like a, a proof of concept exercise. You, you used it to test out some things. And I'm guessing here, if it works for Shipstead, it will work for most other players as well. Yes. Okay, but... Um now in 2021 you added a plg motion and why did you go about that so we saw that we had the potential to do enterprise sales uh we there's a bunch of positives high annual contract values uh, but there's also long sales cycles um we found it less predictable uh, because you don't have that same inflow of leads um, we also saw that we would have to scale the team a lot. Um, we've always had an ambition to have a lean team. And that's also a part of our, our business culture is that we are actually really close with all of our employees. And that's a place that we really enjoy to be. <laughs> so sort of protecting that. And we also saw that... Uh, we had a lot of success when a designer starts in the platform and then expands the contract expands to the wider company okay so we had a theory that this is a repeatable model that we must be able to do um in in more types of companies and at a a faster pace all right so so are you saying or am i hearing that maybe 
when you first started go to market, you went to call it the economic buyer, the yeah. people that are going to pay for this thing, but they're not necessarily the users. But then you realize that actually, if we go to the users first, then they will take it to the economic buyer and our sales cycles will be much more efficient. Yes. And we also saw that we had very high uh, retention rates. So the initial contracts that we landed grew several thousand percents um, in a very natural way. So we realized that it must be a good idea for us to land initial smaller contracts uh, but then put specific features that you would need when a contract grows, such as collaboration, um, having a, a tidy system within your within your builds, and of course security, uh, SLAs for support, and so on, uh, can be then hidden behind uh, a, a more solid paywall. Okay. So what did you see? What did you have to do then in order to sort of start the, the journey there, attracting the designer and and enabling them to, to start with Vev? So one thing that is really cool about Vev is that other websites builders that you know of, like Webflow and Squarespace and Wix, are actually very sort of um, column-based builds. We had a theory that the reason why designers, for example, love platforms like Figma is because it has a really free-flowing design process. Right. So we decided that to attract designers, we need to also cater to graphic designers, for example, that aren't necessarily uh, web designers. They don't understand HTML and CSS, but with the help of Vev and the way the platform is set up, they can become savvy web designers. Okay. Um, so we cater to both designers that sort of want to upskill themselves that through a platform like Vev can actually transition from print design to web design. In addition to catering to web designers that just, they just get it, but they are also craving more freedom and wanting to just create their vision instead of playing by the rules of HTML, as you do in many other platforms. And how do you work to attract them to your website? Because now, if people are going to go themselves and sign up and start that journey, you need to attract them in the first place. So yeah. what has been your tactics in, in doing this? So we started actually by identifying what use cases Vev is the most suitable for. So what sort of builds are designers seeking, for example, inspiration for? So we started building out a lot of content that uh, designers will meet if they search for inspiration for, for example, interactive landing pages or a hype thing called scrolly telling. So we had to start focusing on what are designers searching for in their everyday life that they will find even if they don't know Vev. Yeah, I see here, I search for scrolly telling and you have a paid AdWords in the top and then actually you are the second one in the or organic search. So yeah. yeah, well done. Thank you. That was a, a lucky hit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we, do, we do live research on the show. Yeah, but in general, what we figured out is that there's a bunch of hype things, niche things going on on the web where we believe them to be the strongest fit. And 
we are very often compared to platforms like Webflow, but Webflow is for someone who has the, let's call it the luxury to build their page from the bottom up. Mm. But most designers and most teams are not in the luxury of picking their tech stack. There's a bunch of stakeholders in a decision like that and changing a CMS is a huge cost. Yeah. So we decided that we think the winner of no code will be the one that fits into the existing tech stack that a IT team has chosen for a reason. Okay. There's also this hype of headless CMS that's going on where where we are angling ourselves to be the front end solution for any headless CMS. Yeah, but you're looking into the hype, you're looking into sort of the um, what's buzzing and uh, what these designers are looking for. But when it comes to the product, did you have to change anything to enable the PLG motion? Yes, and that's of course something that we continuously work on. Uh, the activation part uh, where you log in and get started on a product uh, or on a project is the trickiest part, especially because in Vev you build things that are eventually going to be customer facing. Mm -hmm. So you really need to trust in the product and trust that the end product is so solid that you want to put your brand on it, uh, that you trust it to to be like a forever thing on the internet that defines you as a designer even. Um, so, of course, there's been a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to the, the UI itself, uh, the usability, uh, enhancing uh, the features that designers are looking for when they log in. Uh, but we still have a lot of heavy lifting on, uh, on this. Like, this is something that we will never be done with no but was it a big operation to just enable people to be able to sign up and maybe pay and so on was there a lot of things that you needed to develop before you could take that step of course we used to invoice our clients manually in our uh, in our system so yeah pretty much everything had to be built around the platform that we had uh, put our our minds and souls into. Yeah. Uh, so it quickly threw us into reality of every single thing that a SaaS company has to be on top of um, in terms of uh, payment solutions, uh, uh, even just a button to uh, <laughs> to delete your account if you want to uh, is something that we realized we had to build. How long time did it take? From the, the time that you decided we need to go PLG, we have to change until you actually had something that worked and that contained, I mean, the most essential parts, at least. Uh, yeah, so I would say that we definitely launched uh, an MVP of it at the yeah, fall 2021. Yeah. Um, we did what we called, a, we called it a soft launch. So we didn't even add any marketing money behind it until the beginning of this year. Okay. But how long did it take before you could go live 2021 from where you decided this is what we're going to do? Was it like three months, six months? Uh, yeah, I think three months. Uh, okay. We have a crazy tech team. Uh, so those things are sort of our, our bread and butter. Um, so the product continuously moves faster than all of the surrounding features that a uh, 
a startup needs. Okay. So what are the things? Of course, you need to be able to log in. You need to pay. You need to delete your account if you don't want to uh, be part of it anymore. What other things do you need around the product, would you say, in order to be successful uh, with PLG? You got the customer there. They started to use the solution. What else do they need in order to be doing this on their own in a good way? Every single thing in the platform has to be documented. <laughs> Yay! That's what everyone loves, right? <laughs> Especially the tech guys that wants to run fast. It's incredible how like everyone loves to create amazing functionality. Yeah. But that last part of teaching the users on how to use that amazing functionality is the biggest lift. Right. Yeah. Um, for us, at least. Fundraising can be exhausting. With Float, funding for SaaS businesses has never been easier. All digital funding platform apply in just a few clicks. 100% customizable growth loans to fit your needs. No dilution, no personal or equity guarantees. Fuel your growth by accessing a credit line of up to 70% of your ARR within days. And the best of all, you get a fixed interest rate from Float. Visit gofloat.io and get funded. Let's talk about the user a little bit. So I end up uh, using one of these search words you mentioned. I, I land on your site. I see I can create a free account. I'm this designer that creates this free account. Like, what do I access? And for how long do I access this? Like, what is my initial entry to the web world? So web is entirely free until you have a project that you want to go live. Okay, so as soon as you want to publish something, I suppose then, you need to pay. And is that, is that clear for me as a user uh, that I know that, you know, what I've created, I will not be able to go live with it? Or is that something that hits me in the face when I click publish? <laughs> I think it's pretty clear on the pricing page that it's free forever. And you can publish with a Vev watermark. So you end up as a marketing, uh, marketing Vev. Okay. And for some users, that's good enough. Okay. But to go for a professional site without a watermark on your preferred domain or CMS, then you have to start paying. Got it. Okay. So... I end up there, I access this, so I get access to, you know, and uh, there's some people talking about reverse trials, but basically you give me the whole shebang, all functionalities, the only limit is that if I want to publish something, there's the watermark. So I want to ask then, how do you make sure, how do you incentivize people to start publishing without the watermark? How do you get them to not just, you know, play around and never publish anything? So the thing is that with the strategy that we have, it's we have a theory that designers are searching for stuff when they have a project in mind. Right. So the biggest challenge that we have to solve is that you get started, you understand the platform in time for uh, when the deadline for the given project is. Right. Um, so for a designer, the neat part is that the platform is very intuitive. You've, uh, if you've built in InDesign or in any design tool, you recognize the flow. Right. So that has been the most important thing for us to sort of not reinvent the wheel, but create a workflow that enables anyone or any designer to get started from the first second that they log in. Right. So then I have to ask you, like, you know, what is that activation moment where you see on your end, like, okay, this person maybe hasn't published anything yet, but 
we see he or she needs maybe some attention from our sales folks. For, for example, Calendly talks about when you download Calendly, that's all cool, but they don't do anything with us until they see that uh, my link has been used five times or 10 times by somebody else to use a moment. Then I'm considered to be an activated customer. And they start reaching out to me by email and sales. Like, what is that activation moment on your end? We see that when they start adding their own content. So they add our design components, uh, but once they actually start adding text, uploading their own images, adding their own animations, for example, that sort of gives them the that ownership feeling of the project. Right. Um, so we are really thinking about like how to make them proud of their end product. Yeah. Um, so we also created a vast amount of pre-built components that once you just upload your own content, you already have a really cool looking site. Yeah. So that's, for example, different uh, scrolling sections where you simply double click and add your own images and then the site is ready to go. But then you can go deeper into the design editors and, um, and tweak it even more. But we wanted to sort of give designers that out-of-the-box functionality that they would only access through developers in any other tools. Okay. So would you say that that is the aha moment when you know they fall in love with your product? Or is there something else that you see is this defining moment when they sort of where you get sticky? So this including the fact that they can... Uh, publish on a dummy domain and sort of explore and see that this project functions on uh, on desktop, tablet, and mobile. Um, that gives them the experience from start to finish where we believe no other platform is as fast when it comes to the start of a project to actually having a live project that you see that you have the potential to uh, to get ready in in days or hours instead of weeks. Gotcha. I have one more question for you then on this. So when you see, I guess you have some in-application tracking, so you see that, okay, they're using their own content or whatever it is. Does that trigger another motion? Like do they suddenly start to get uh, emails or somebody in your sales team picks up the, the phone to call them because they see like, hey, uh, Thomas has uploaded his own content here. Now it's time to start engaging with this person. Yeah, but we also have other functionalities. So we have uh, a lead score uh, that is trained. So whenever we land a large deal or we see a successful account, it continues to train the algorithm. So we sometimes see that we can reach out right away based on an account having a really high lead score. Right. Um, so that's for when we see large enterprises coming in, for example, a notification is triggered for sales and they can get right on it. And then we have the other flow, which is for customer success, which is more user-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them, we typically reach out and offer them uh, a 15-minute demo. Um, but what we see is that more and more of the sales process is happening even before the sign-up. So now our biggest focus is moving all of these resources outside of the platform um, where we're building demos for pretty much any use case that you can think of out there. 
Okay. So um, during this year when you've been live with the PLG motion here, is have you changed anything during that year that you thought would work from, from the start and then you have to pivot a little bit and do things in another way? Or are you still on the same, work the same as you did a year ago? I think that when you start talking about PLG, especially in the B2B space, there is this thought that everything will be fully self-serve. Okay. We also sort of had that hope or that end goal that self-serve would be the the way to go. Um, but also during this year, I think that the conversation about PLG um, has developed from being like a this thing that everyone should achieve um, to now becoming um, yeah the term hybrid PLG has been introduced and we see even the large enterprises like Slack for example that have continuously communicated that they are doing PLG they have the biggest sales team in the world <laughs> um, so I think that it we very quickly were able to sort of shift our focus from pure PLG, that that was the focus. Uh, and that was a hard hit for the team, actually, because everyone started sort of envisioning a fully self-serve flow, envisioning a team uh, where the self-serve motion would be the, would be the, the kicker in the company. Um, but we quickly realized that in the B2B market, you're meeting very traditional procurement departments. You're meeting uh, security issues. You're meeting inexperienced buyers as well. So we quickly saw that we need to consider PLG as uh, more of a, a lead generator where larger parts of the buying process are automated but where sales is that last support that guides the client into being confident enough to uh, sign larger deals, for example. That makes a lot of sense. Another thing when it comes to PLG that turns out to be really key is how you actually support this journey for the user, you know, in lack of better terms, the onboarding exercise. There's a pre-boarding, there's an onboarding in the app. Like, how do you guys make sure that the designer gets the best experience once they're in there? So we believe designers like to learn by doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, we did try like step-by-step -step onboarding processes where you have, uh, you know, you click the forward button and get introduced to a new feature in the platform and so on. Right. And because that was the first thing that we thought of when automated onboarding, well, we need to show them around in the platform. Yeah. But I think that designers especially has just like a, a reflex where they click the X button and move into, into the design editor heads first without any introduction. Yeah. So we understood that what we have to do is offer example projects or templates, if you want to call it, where what the designer does is clicking around and exploring the settings on the components that are already on the page. Yeah. So w was there a way for you, because you said that you have identified, you know, certain unique cases where you guys were stronger. Did you try to guide the designers, please start here in the platform and not over there? Yes. So we started 
Of course, you can start from a blank project, which is uh, something that a designer typically is attracted to. So we needed to really shove the example projects in their faces. <laughs> the tricky part here is that we think that the users typically, and I do this myself, I realize, I typically go in, I click away all of the introductions that are available to me, but then I go back to it once I figured out that I'm not smart enough to figure out all of this myself. Hey, at least you don't give up. That's me. I was like, this, this, this didn't work out for me. I'm never trying this again. That happens too. <laughs> and the part where we would have a fall off is where they would just like add two components to the page and nothing more. So that is our nemesis is just adding a couple of things to the page and not understanding the power of the tool. So this is where we needed to build examples that are just really highlighting what the designer wants to achieve. But we also realized that there's no hand-holding that works really well. So videos with uh, demos and how to build uh, certain things, in addition to uh, examples that they can explore on their own. Got it. Okay. So um, when it comes to pricing or, or the different uh, you know offers that that you have could you say anything about that why you decided to do as you did uh, you have the free version you have the watermark and there's a certain functionality that you don't get until you go to the professional and, and so on so did you did you experiment here as well or we experimented with <coughs> having features that we consider as features that professionals would care about. For example, custom fonts, that they can upload their own fonts and so on. Um, but what we saw is that if we need to provide the value before uh, we demand any payment from our clients. Yeah. And in our case, it's creating something that feels like your own. So we decided that we have to make as many features as possible available, especially for the creation process. So the only features that we decided to uh, to hide behind our, our paywalls are more collaborative features, where it's about uh, when you reach a certain number of users, uh, you have to, to upgrade. So we don't want to stop them from collaborating in the trial phase, but at some point we needed to to draw the line uh, just to show that value as well. But in terms of what they are able to create, we decided not to hide, uh, to strip away anything. Okay, so more or less full design freedom and... Um, Access yeah. to everything. And then for enterprises that go for uh, the custom pricing, it's all about features around uh, SLA, so uh, the response time on support, for example, uh, but also uh, packages when it comes to one-to-one -one onboarding sessions. Uh, the fact that they have a customer success manager to reach out to. So everything that secures them that Web can be their production tool, that they can trust that we will respond in in due time when they sit with a deadline with their client at the other side of it. Um, so there it's the support and service level that uh, gives them the security to choose Vev as uh, as their web provider. Okay. 
So what's next here? I mean, this is just the beginning of both you as a company and your PLG motion. So what is the next step that you are working on and, uh, and maybe also, you know, improve what you have done so far when it comes to the PLG part? So we see that the one-to-one -one interactions that we have are extremely effectful. Um, so we are sort of working to figure out how to provide that level of service even in a self-serve motion. Okay. So on our, whenever our sales team gets a meeting and shows them around in the platform, we close 30% of all incoming uh, calls. And this, we believe, is because the client has an intention when they log on. Uh, they are looking to build something specific. Um, and we are focusing on pretty much building the user journey adapted to what they're looking to build uh, and what sort of team they have in place. All right. So more and more of all of the handholding that we're doing in the sales process will be available on the website so that the sales process is happening before they even log in. Okay. Yeah. And we know a lot of companies that are looking into, they want to start working with PLG and so on. And they, they come from pretty much a, a same situation as uh, you guys are doing, being selling to the enterprise. So what will be your top three tips for companies that will embark on this journey now, so to speak? I would focus on the marketing part first. Like what is the messaging that you think will bring in your prioritized type of client? Okay. Um, because we sort of started with marketing at a later point. Uh, while we see that uh, this is where we learn about what hits and also what attracts clients to your platform. So what features in your platform is actually what's bringing in leads and that informs you of what is the true strength of your platform that you have to highlight in the in the onboarding process and that you have to just perfectionize in the product itself. So start with marketing. I would start with marketing with someone who's really great at messaging. Um, and it all comes down to the ideal customer profile. Yeah. Who are you building for? So this will give you so much information about what they care about and what they want to see once they log into your platform. Okay. Um, and this has been the what has enabled us to, of course, grow in terms of organic traffic, but also increase our conversion rates based on knowing what experience to give the client once they log in. Okay. And and when you come there, what should you focus on next, would you say? What, what are the two more things that you would like to uh, tell the audience here to think about? So the next step for us was we know that they want to explore the, the design editor. That's what they are logging in for. Yeah. Um, so for us, it was how to bring them to value as soon as possible. And in a design tool, you're, you could sort of have to build everything yourself. Mm. Uh, but we knew some of the really cool features that are really popular on the web, like different types of uh, animations. We added sections that could horizontally scroll. Mm. So really power features that we wanted to make really accessible so that the designer felt like a superstar the moment that they logged in, that they were able to deliver something way more 
powerful and impressive than before. And we thought that this would again make designers proud of their end product and introduce it to their wider team. Okay, that's a good one. And and what should you definitely not do? We've done this. We've gone out to uh, not identifying our ICP. This is where what I'm talking about when we added marketing uh, at a later stage. That is a platform that in theory can be used by anyone. So the messaging that we did was incredibly generic in the beginning. Mm. Um, but with that, you also lose focus on who you're building the platform for. Um, so, uh, we went for a too wide audience in the beginning and sort of forgot who to laser focus on. Okay. And this is, uh, maybe the key learning that I would, uh, we would have saved a lot of experimentation and, uh, detours if we had really focused on who is actually really successful in the platform and laser target that sort of user because there are more of them out there. Very cool. So you mentioned here in the beginning that you guys have been growing 100% and are looking to even accelerate that going forward. So tell us, you know, if you look ahead in the future here, the next 12, 16, 18 months, what does the future look like and what do you need to support that growth journey? So what we need is to build out our commercial team. So as I said, we have large clients, large client names. Um, I almost felt awkward. I don't want to start name dropping. Do it. Do it. You want me to name drop? There's no shame in some self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, The Economist, The Daily Mail, uh, uh, Osprey, even uh, the EU <laughs> is on the client list. So, so really big publishing organization. Yeah. In addition to agencies like Publicis, uh, so on and so forth. Gotcha. And uh, our next step is to increase our uh, our marketing activity. Mm-hmm. Um, we have started scaling, uh, but we see that uh, when it comes to the growth that we can get on pure organic is is pretty infinite. And what we need is to build out our uh, marketing department. So we are looking for really experienced uh, sauce and digital marketers. Uh, is a, a key uh, key hires that we will do in the next year. You cannot have Thomas Weber. He's all mine. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Okay, cool. Cool. So look, looking to expand the commercial team, like you know, and I'm sure if, if you're listening to this and if you have enjoyed what Tina has said, I'm sure they have a career page or you can chase Tina down. If you think you're the right talent, just hit her up. So. We also all want to ask each and every guest on the show here, like, is there anybody particular that has inspired you that you feel we should bring on the show? Uh, well, actually, I had a conversation with um, Anders Kvåle yesterday. Okay. Um, where he's the, the founder of Spacemaker and uh, quite successful. And he is a character but he's also <laughs> incredibly uh helpful i we had conversations uh i asked him for tips and he's always available when i ask him for for a 30 minute chat and 
yesterday I had to ask him like, why are you even taking time for this? He was preparing for for vacation and planning to buy a Nokia so that he would be disconnected from the world. <laughs> but these are the guys that were bought by some huge Autodesk or whomever it was, right? Yes. Okay. So he was a happy dude. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can afford a Nokia then. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he might say yes if we ask him then. Yeah. Yeah, he was all about paying it forward. Okay. So uh, I think that he would be extremely fun to listen to on uh, on this podcast great thank you for that tip appreciate it and uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk to us and best of luck in in the future with what you guys are doing so uh, thank you and see you around see you around take care now you too all right daniel what are your main takeaways from the episode today I liked how she talked a little bit about uh, the PLG motion being a complement to their sales motion because their sales motion reaches out to the economic buyer, but they've noticed that it's once the users get their hands on the product, tries it out and starts pushing for this internally up to the economic buyer that accelerates the buying process much more. So uh, I liked how they thought about the PLG motion from that perspective. You know, let's get the designer in here, let's get him or her really keen and interested in this, and then they will do some of the internal selling for us. So uh, I I thought that was a a neat way to look at how these things can complement each other. What about you, Tomas? Well, I think it was wise what she said in the end also when she summarized it, that start with the marketing, Uh, because it doesn't matter if you rebuild your product and it's super easy to sell from board and everything if you can't attract the users that you are tending to to make sure that you understand who that you uh, want to target and make sure that you have content and other things uh, that is needed to attract them to your tour your website and start trying your product and make sure that they get this aha moment Uh, very fast and can see the full value of your product when they are there so um, yeah that's my takeaway awesome and um, as always we appreciate any feedback and if you have any topic or any guest that you would like us to have on the show please reach out Uh, you can connect with us on LinkedIn or you can email contact at sesnordic.com yes and if you enjoyed it we'd be really 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 happy if you give us a five-star rating in whatever platform you're using this to, to listen to us. Absolutely. So with that, we just want to thank you for listening and uh, see you soon again. Take care. Take care.